the business of espionage is as old as the Bible, and it certainly involves a multitude of sins, uh, deception, blackmail, betrayal, even murder. So can there be an ethical form of espionage? Philosopher and political scientist Tamsin Shaw of New York University tries to answer this question in an essay for the New York Review of Books. Tamsin's also at work on her own book on psychological operations. Tamsin, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Apart from a political philosopher such as yourself, do you think, though, in the halls of MI6 or the CIA... Uh, they scratch their heads wondering, is this operation ethical? (laughs) In the article, I mentioned that MI6 don't use blackmail because they consider it unethical. And there are also various other examples where they've sacrificed their better interests in ways because they were trying to be ethical. And I think that is part of the culture. In America, There is some congressional oversight, so there has to be some ethical considerations. But also, I've spoken to people who work in intelligence here who are absolutely not the kind of cartoon character CIA people that we see in the movies, but Mm. people trying to do the right thing. Although, I mean, as you as a political scientist as well would also acknowledge, some of those cartoon characteristics can be true, especially if you're talking about the CIA's involvement uh, over decades in places like Central America or Chile or Africa or Afghanistan. There is a fair bit of very active plotting, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the early CIA especially was run by people who were extraordinarily unethical. I mean, what Alan Dulles oversaw, the first CIA director, was pretty astonishing, the MK Ultra program, which was the CIA mind control program, involved all kinds of horrific experiments on humans often psychiatric patients or prisoners. It was just an extraordinary breach of human rights of Americans, let alone what the CIA were doing all around the world in the early days of the Cold War until the church investigation finally raised some questions about this, partly as a result of Watergate, as said, we've got to have some congressional oversight. But even now, of course, it's a murky realm And the CIA has been turned into very much a paramilitary organization. So I was writing primarily about espionage and not so much about covert operations. But we do have paramilitary intelligence services now. And I think that's a worrying development Mm. because I think the ethical discussion has yet to catch up with things like assassination with drones. Yeah. As I said in the introduction, espionage is as old as the Bible, but it seems to have been born anew out of a particularly bleak view of humanity after World War II. What was that view of humanity, Tamsin? The stakes seemed so high, partly because of the incredible number of deaths in World War II. So, you know, six million Jews being killed in the Holocaust, of course, but then the Russians were 
dealing with the fact that 27 million people had died in the East. It was just horrific slaughter. And it seemed as though humanity would really stop at nothing. And suddenly they were all armed with these nuclear weapons, the Americans and the British and the Soviet Union. And the stakes, they seemed like the survival of the human race at the time. So you can imagine in those circumstances, people will stop at nothing. And there was the famous Doolittle report in 1954 that said, the stakes are so high that normal civilizational rules just don't apply because we're facing an enemy who's prepared to do anything. Mm. And actually, it turns out I think that's dangerous talk because neither side, in retrospect, would have undertaken a first strike with nuclear weapons in the Cold War. I think we need to be careful about that kind of rhetoric nowadays too. You raise this interesting point just in your answer there, but also in your writing, that, look, espionage, it always involves some form of lying and deception. It often involves coercion and threats, sometimes betrayal that even leads to the deaths of many people. The practitioners of espionage usually say they're doing this for the greater good. So just how great does the good have to be in the greater good, if you know what I mean. Right. I think that's the question that ethicists are struggling with now, because it has to be pretty great to put people's lives at risk. If our intelligence services are working with a foreign agent who's putting themselves at great risk, there has to be not just a greater good in the bigger picture, but in terms of what that person themselves can contribute. Case officers struggle with those questions. They're the people that are dealing directly with the people who are recruited. I've certainly seen case officers who have teared up at the idea of the stakes for these people. And I remember one woman saying the person she recruited asked how often do you think about me? Because I think about you every second of hmm. every day because my fate is in your hands. And that's a hell of a responsibility. The other thing about espionage is that to some extent, surely it's in the eye of the beholder because, I mean, let's take the case of uh, the man that the British and the Americans uh, consider a terrible traitor. That's Kim Philby. He was arguably the most brilliant yeah. spy of the 20th century. He almost ended up as the head of Britain's foreign intelligence organisation. But as I say, the Brits and the Americans say that he's a terrible traitor. But in Russia, he's a hero. They, I think they put him on the stamp. It's really in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I guess it depends on what kind of ideological values you have. So it was always a slightly odd situation that the British in particular really valued patriotism as a motivation. And so people like Gordievsky, who defected to the West, were in a way admired for being on the right side, but also scorned for being traitors to their own countries. And that's probably why I think patriotism is a bad motivation as opposed to a more substantive set of values. People now especially should feel that they are fighting for liberal democracy and 
trying to save it from what's clearly encroaching authoritarianism. And I think that's a more important value than the sort of parochial patriotic ones. Mm. It reminds me of the quip, I think it's uh, Talleyrand, who was uh, Napoleon's foreign minister. Didn't he say that treason is just a matter of dates? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I guess I don't fully subscribe to that view because I think there are countries that are better at supporting human rights and promoting democracy and liberalism within their own boundaries and promoting international law than others. If you think about the difference between Australia and North Korea, it's a pretty striking difference. If we think about espionage just in terms of national interests, I don't know about Australia, but The British certainly, the national interest is part of the mandate there. Then that skews the whole enterprise in a way that is a problem now. Mm. No, I'm just thinking, though, you mentioned the case of Oleg Gordievsky, who was a a Russian defector, Soviet-era defector, provided the West with a lot of information. Had he been uncovered in the 1980s, he would most likely have been executed, even under Gorbachev's uh, liberal government. But maybe by the 1990s, Russian patriots might have said, no, he was trying to overturn a terrible system to make us all free. So that's, I guess that's what I'm saying about uh, right. treason being a matter of dates. Yeah, that's true. I mean, especially look if you look at Russia post the Soviet Union, those kind of... Loyalties change all the time. I mean, there's a big revival now of Stalin and the Stalinists. So even within one territory, it can change very quickly. We're speaking with uh, Professor Tamsin Shaw. She's a philosopher and political scientist at New York University. We're discussing her essay in the current edition of the New York Review of Books, Ethical Espionage, What Moral Principles Should Guide Our Intelligence Gathering Agencies. Uh, Tamsin herself is working on a new book on psychological operations. Tamsin, what is the argument that what successful and ethical espionage rests on is purely ethical people. Just get the right people and they will tell the lies in the most humane way or they they will conduct deception but in an ethical way. Sadly, it's just the case that human beings need oversight. We're not reliable enough as individuals, however ethical we think we are, to do that and to make those judgments. And when you're dealing with espionage or covert operations, those are going to be incredibly complex judgments involving lots of very tricky counterfactuals. The more people you have deliberating with you, the better. But then once that happens, you have to do it within a structure because then you have the need for secrecy and you have the need for compartmentalized information. And it all becomes very institutionalized very quickly. Isn't the the activity of espionage, though, essentially in a way corrupting in itself? I mean, you can take the most pure-hearted person, remembering, of course, a lot of people who went into the CIA in the early 1950s were liberal, the Harvard, yeah. Yale, liberal-minded people. But doesn't the action of espionage itself corrupt? It's interesting. I mean, it clearly can. Of course, the Cambridge spies went into it thinking that they were fighting fascism. 
but Kim Philby never really repented in any way. He supported Stalinism for a long time with his actions. There's an interesting interview between Errol Morris and David Cornwell, otherwise known as John le Carre, who met Philby and said that he just loved being the fulcrum around which world events turn. So he could see both sides and he really enjoyed the power. And I think there's always that danger with secrecy that Mm. people do really enjoy the power of holding secrets. And I think you have to try to build institutions that prevents that from becoming corruption. So what would an ethical espionage look like? In the United States, I really strongly feel that it would look like trying to uphold the Constitution with America's actions at home and abroad. And In the United States, I think people should be very concerned about taking actions that don't undermine the Constitution and the values that the Constitution stands for. For example, the Iraq war has really undermined America's credibility on the world stage. That moral credibility, it's hard to get back once it's squandered. That's often seen as an intelligence failure In some ways it was. There was the British dodgy dossier, of course, although, you know, a lot of the intelligence people here thought that it was a mistake to invade rather than treating terrorism as a policing issue. In a way, it was just more of a policy failure by the Bush administration. Nevertheless, any intelligence gathering is going to weigh in decisions that have consequences in terms of American foreign policy. And I think that should really be guided by a set of values because we don't want to just defend the national interest. We want to defend the national interest under a certain constitution with a certain set of values Mm. because if we're the same as North Korea, I don't think it's as defensible to say we can do anything that we want to try and protect ourselves. Tamsin, one of the many really interesting points that I just sort of leapt out at me in your essay was your observation about the political right, at least in the United States today. It's a very interesting inversion of history. What do they say about intelligence agencies? They want to abolish the CIA and completely gut the FBI. I mean, I imagine if Trump got re-elected, he would want regime security rather than national security, just propping up his regime as the Russian intelligence agencies currently do, or any authoritarian country's agencies. It must be a little worrying for the CIA right now to imagine that their whole enterprise might not exist for very much longer. And wasn't the last president to seriously threaten the CIA, uh, John F. Kennedy, after the Bay of Pigs failure? Didn't he threaten to smash it into a thousand pieces or something? Yeah, I think he had better reason because they really were behaving in a pretty wild manner in the 50s and 60s. His reasons were definitely very different to Donald Trump's. Mm. But who would have thought it, (laughs) maybe except Donald Trump himself? Donald Trump is the inheritor of JFK's mantle. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a strange thought. 
fascinating to speak with you. Professor Tamsin Shaw, philosopher and political scientist at New York University. We've been discussing Tamsin's essay, and we'll put a link to it at our website. It's in the New York Review of Books, Ethical Espionage, What Moral Principles Should Guide Our Intelligence-Gathering Agencies. Tamsin's also at work on a new book about psychological operations. And I should mention, she's the for those of you interested particularly in philosophy, she's the author of the book Nietzsche's Political Skepticism. Thanks for joining us on the program, Tamsin. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.